Welcome to Influencer Business, where influencers get help with the hard stuff. Think of us as your business Bible. We're a team of influencers and entrepreneurs dedicated to bringing professional resources and infrastructure to our community. I'm Rich Scudelari, CEO of Trove. I'm an entrepreneur focused on helping influencers run and grow their businesses with the resources and information they need. I host this podcast as well as a live webinar called Office Hours, which takes place every Wednesday. Here, I dig deeper into each weekly topic and answer all of your most pressing questions. Our weekly podcast features guests from across the professional landscape, sharing their experiences and advice and answering questions from the Trove community, which you can submit on our website at www.trovebusiness.com. Welcome back to Influencer Business. I'm your host, Rich Gudlari. Very excited to have you with us here today. An amazing episode lined up for you where we're going to cover everything related to performance management and ultimately the dark topic, firing. Now, these are all very tough conversations. They're loaded with emotions. We often want to avoid them, but don't worry. We are being joined today by the amazing Kat Cole, the president and COO of Focus Brands, who's going to help guide us through these topics and navigate these tough conversations. She actually flips the script on its head, showing us that you can't avoid these conversations. You have to embrace them because you're actually not doing your job as a leader. You're doing a disservice to all the people who work on your team. If you're not incorporating this regular feedback and performance management into your routine and having these difficult conversations. Not only that, but she'll help change your mindset. She'll give you incredible confidence going into these conversations and actually enable you to get the other party to buy in and be really accepting of this feedback. But before we get to our conversation with Kat, I wanted to touch on something briefly. I'll talk about it more at the end of the podcast, but here at Trove, we're really focused on helping influencers and content creators and small businesses of all types run their businesses more efficiently. And one of the ways we do that is we go out and find companies who help alleviate pressure, angst, remove roadblocks from the core competencies of running and growing your business. And I would imagine for everybody listening to this podcast, taxes and accounting are one of those things that causes us all to break out in hives. So we've just partnered with Bench Accounting, the number one bookkeeper in North America. They combine the best of technology and human bookkeeping to bring you an amazing accounting and bookkeeping solution. We've been using them at Trove for over three years. They saved me countless hours and really provide me with a peace of mind because I know there are experts behind the scenes actually doing the bookkeeping for me. So I'll talk about this more at the end of the podcast, but you really should check them out. And we've partnered with them to get you an amazing deal. You get 20% off your first six months of bookkeeping with Bench. All you have to do is go to bench.co forward slash partner forward slash trove. All the details are there. Trust me, I've been using them for more than three years. You will not be disappointed. But let's get to our conversation with Kat. She is one of the best operators in the world, and beyond that, just an incredible human being. We're so excited to have her on the podcast, and we have so much to learn from her. So without any further ado, I'd like to welcome Kat Cole to Influencer Business. Kat, thanks so much for joining us today. Happy to be here. Before we jump into the topic, each of our listeners has has taken a very non-traditional path to building their business, and your path was equal parts non-traditional and incredible. Can you tell us a little bit about your path to where you are today? Sure. Uh, So today I'm president and COO of a company that does a couple billion in uh, in sales. And we run franchise brands, food and restaurant concepts around the world, 6,000 locations, 60 countries, seven brands, Jamba Juice, Moe's, Annie Ann, Cinnabon, and more. Uh, And uh, it's been an interesting path to get here. So born in Jacksonville, Florida, child of a single parent, alcoholic father. We left my dad when I was nine. And uh, that led to a pretty early set of leadership experiences. I was the pseudo father in the family. Mm -hmm. I had to start working at a very young age to support myself and help with needs of the family. Uh, I witnessed a lot of incredible leadership decisions made by a very humble woman, my mom. Um, So all of that isn't necessarily uncommon. The more I share it, the more common I realize it is. Um, but it, it certainly led to an interesting set of leadership behaviors that allowed me to have a non-traditional and accelerated uh, path of business career, whatever you want to call it. So started working when I was 15, um, first person in my family to get into college. And I was working in malls, and then I started working as a hostess at Hooters restaurants and then became a waitress when I was 18 while still in high school. And all of that was pretty normal, Um 
mainly because people having a restaurant job when they're in high school and yeah. saving for college is pretty common. One in two Americans work in a restaurant. Um, sure. And but but for me, staying in the restaurant business was not a goal. I, as the first person who got into college on either side of my family ever, uh, I was going after it pretty um, pretty hard. So I was a double major and was a major in electrical engineering and computer wow. sciences and a minor in psychology of women. So Jeez. I was super serious. <laughs> yeah, and, very serious. Uh, and, and I had a grand plan to get those degrees and then go on to law school. My teacher said I was good at math and I talked a lot. And so, you know, <laughs> engineering and, and law seemed like it made a lot of sense. Patent and, lawyer. And right. And so, um, so that was what I thought was my path. It was certainly my dream and my goal at the time. And working in restaurants was just a, a means to a different end. And mm-hmm. um, as luck would have it, the company I was working for, Hooters Restaurants, happened to be growing. They were opening new restaurants around the country, but also around the world. And I was asked to be a member of the training team that traveled overseas to go help open new restaurants. That's not necessarily unusual. Some people think it is, Um, but it's pretty normal in retail. If you have one retail Mm -hmm. unit, it does incredibly well. When you open location number two, you take the employees who are really good from location number one and you send them to location two to train the new hires. Makes Mm -hmm. total sense. But Um, how old were you at this point? Yeah, I was 19. Yeah, (laughs) that's unusual. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it it, it is unusual and it's not, right? You think about Mm -hmm. how old waitresses are um, and certainly how old waitresses are at Hooters restaurants. It, you know, Mm -hmm. while there certainly are people in their 40s and 50s, it it probably has a sweet spot of 18 to 30. Yeah. Um, Yes, I was on the very young end of that. Um, (laughs) But so it was unusual that it was Hooters. It was unusual that it was Australia because not all retail businesses have the luxury and the success of growing mm-hmm. overseas. Right. Um, so that those few things in and of themselves are a bit unusual, and certainly that I was so young. But I was an incredibly successful employee. Um, my ability to work every job in the business, I, I learned how to be a cook. I was a front of house employee. Yeah. I bartended. So I was a smart bet to send. It was like right. sending four people in one. And, um, and, and the other piece that was unusual is that I... Coming from humble beginnings, I had never been on a plane. I did not have a passport. I had only been out of the state of Florida twice in my life for cheerleading competitions. Wow. <laughs> and yet I still said yes. Um, yeah. So I had lots of reasons to say no. I could have said, oh, I've never done that. Or, oh, I don't know how to do that. Sure. Or um, I can't legally exit the country. <laughs> you know? um, yeah. But I, I figured it out. I bought a plane ticket. I flew to Miami. I stood in line. I got my passport expedited. I came back. And I left and, and um, opened that restaurant successfully with a team of people and loved it, thought it was a once-in-a-lifetime experience, made up the classes that I missed, uh-huh. and thought I was back on my um, patent lawyer path. <laughs> uh, and then they called, they, the corporate office, called and said, mm-hmm. you, you did a great job. We have more restaurants we're opening in other countries. We'd like you to be a member of these other teams. And so 60 days later, I uh, went to Mexico and helped launch the first of our franchises in Central America. And then a few months later, wow. same thing in Argentina, launched the first of our franchises in South America, except now I was leading the team. So a few openings in, I'm already yeah. leading the teams that I was just recently <laughs> Still 19 of. or have you turned uh, 20 yet? 19. I, I think I may have <laughs> just turned 20 uh, when I opened Incredible. Sydney. And, uh, and so very quickly, two things happened. One, I realized that I both loved and was very good at this international operations launching a business thing. Uh, mm-hmm. And two, I was failing college because I was never there. <laughs> and so yeah. I dropped out because I had mm-hmm. to, truly. There was no way to make up the classes except quit working, which I couldn't afford to do. And, right. uh, and I loved the path I was on, even though I had no promises, no contract, no guarantees, no salary, still an hourly employee. Uh, and, yeah. but I loved it. And, uh, as luck would have it a few months later, the corporate office asked me to interview for a corporate job. I said, yes, I got the job. I moved to Atlanta and that's how I got to Atlanta where I live today mm-hmm. and took my first corporate gig. No more waiting tables, no more cash tips, having to learn yeah. how to live off a paycheck, which sucked. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and then getting in debt as a result and learning hard financial lessons as a yeah. newly, um, sort mm-hmm. of, you know, 
check paid adult. The yeah. adulting was super hard. <laughs> and, uh, and then, and, and then I grew as the company grew and that's kind of the headline by 26. I was one of the vice presidents of the company doing almost 800 million in revenue. I was a member of the executive team for six years, crazy career. I mean, the company was just bananas. It was privately owned. The CEO passed yeah. away. The son took over mass exodus of executives. We launched an airline, which was a horrible idea. Um, <laughs> And we eventually sold it, which was a great idea. We sold the yeah. private equity. So you just think about all those experiences and such a unique mm -hmm. business was incredibly educational for me as a young professional. Uh, yeah. And I, so I dropped out of college, but then decided to go back. So I have a master's without a bachelor's. It is rare, but possible. Yeah, very unique. <laughs> yeah, it's unique. Uh, and so people call me and say, I didn't know it was possible. I didn't either until someone told me. And that doesn't mean it's easy. You got to be pretty yeah. smart. You got to pass the GMAT with a higher score than most people yeah. have to. And you got to have sure. a lot of um, executive experience under your belt, which I, I mm -hmm. did at the time that I went back. So, but it's possible yeah. for those who didn't know. And it was very yeah. helpful for me. I later left, um, started as president of Cinnabon, so took over my first president role of a global business. And after that, I, uh, I just moved up in that company. So I was president of Cinnabon, turned that company around, was very active in the restaurant and franchising industry um, during that time, also was deeply involved in humanitarian work in Eastern Africa and places like Rwanda, Ethiopia, Somalia, and the Sudan. Uh, and, uh, and then became group president of the parent company about four years later and uh, a few years ago became president and COO. And that's yeah. how I got here. And all along that journey, there were tons of mistakes, lots of humanitarian work, um, got yeah. married at Burning Man, made a baby six months later. To the <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And I obviously follow you on Instagram. <laughs> Two things I love. One, I love your ritual at Burning Man, uh, your anniversary ritual. Oh, yeah. You wake up to the coffee. And then two, your son clearly has the coffee gene. Yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite things to do is watch him in his coffee trance. Oh, thanks. So it really fascinating path. And you know, one of the things that I love about you early on when you were 50, you just said yes to everything. Somebody, you know, you were always picking up shifts. Candidly, I've listened to a lot of your interviews. So, uh, you know, I've heard the story before, but you just said yes to everything. And that's how you became such a proficient employee that got sent to all these different places. But you were faced with this incredible decision, continue on the traditional path or diverge and do something that could have been very scary because what if you got laid off or something, there was a downturn in the business, and you all of a sudden didn't have schooling to fall back on. How did you kind of weigh that decision? You know, at the time, it was probably driven by the fact that I was pretty naive and motivated. And like most people mm -hmm. say, easier and better to take those big risks when you're younger. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, it felt pretty obvious to me for two reasons. One, I, I really could tell I was so good at what I was doing, opening business, yeah. because I worked mm -hmm. for other people who had been at it longer, who had much more trouble than I did. Right. Um, and so just by comparing myself to people I had worked under, I could tell I was a bit of a natural fit. I was comfortable with the chaos. I could build trust with teams um, that I had never met. I really understood how to deconstruct a brand based on the local consumers and the environment and really respect what needed to stay the same and what, what could change. So I was just, I, I came at that a bit intuitively and it, it was, it was obvious. I was paying attention. And it was obvious. The other thing that made it easy is, as I mentioned, I was failing. I wasn't just, my grades <laughs> weren't declining. I, I went in yeah. and they said, there is no way for you to make up what yeah. you've missed. And so it was sort of as if the universe made the decision for me. You love what you're doing. Sure. There is likely, although not guaranteed, likely to be more opportunities like this. And mm -hmm. you have almost no way to make this up. Now, I could have decided to make it up. I could have gotten student loans, which I refused to do. Sure. Um, I could have found a way to try to get other income sources that didn't require... Um, as intense of a working schedule, working all shifts, days, nights throughout the yeah. week. But I didn't have the financial cushion sure. to give me those options. It was sort of mm -hmm. like you either you either work uh, and be able to pay for school, or if you have to give up work in order to go to school, that's that really wasn't a scenario that was possible for me. So right. um, the only pause I had was telling my mom, who was incredibly proud of 
everything yeah, as the I was first doing. Person yeah. in the family to go to college. Yeah, and that was a bummer. Yeah. And she was very disappointed. She wasn't oh. furious. She wasn't. I mean, look, she wasn't paying for it. So it's <laughs> whether she right. was mad or not wasn't a contributor to my ability sure. to go. It was more that I just I cared. You know, I cared. Mm-hmm. what she thought. Um, I very much cared that she was proud. And so mm-hmm. she said, I, I don't agree. Um, I think you're going to regret it, but I can tell you're having fun and seem to be incredibly good at what you're doing. And mm-hmm. so she begrudgingly was supportive. Has she uh, since forgiven you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was obvious pretty early, <laughs> pretty much right away where she's like, wow, you're going to more places than I've ever dreamed of, <laughs> of being. So even if it's just the optics of how sexy it looks to be traveling around the world, even though I was like in row 92D, you know, yeah. traveling around yeah. the world, um, <laughs> you know, it's still, she she was very proud pretty quickly. And, yeah. and, and I think part of that was I, there was never a point where I came back in complained or regretted. Um, right. I was just loving yeah. every bit of the journey. Yeah. Well, that's it, just an incredible story. Every time I hear it, it gets better and better. But one of the things that I really love to zero in on is your success at building teams. And that's what we've been focusing on the last couple of weeks here. The team building process, interviewing, hiring, onboarding, and a big part of that is performance management. Um, you spent your entire career basically building and launching teams. Can you talk us a little bit about that process? Sure. Um, you know, it, I think it's one, it started early in non-professional settings. I was captain of the cheerleading squad. I was co-head of the debate team. Um, I was president of my class one year. So one thing I encourage, especially young entrepreneurs to do to build their leadership and team building muscle is to don't look only to your business for ways you can build a team building muscle. There are things you can do in your community, whether it's nonprofit organizations, faith-based organizations, just for um, a, it can be a book club, right? There's so many things that you can do that put you in a position to have to communicate a vision, rally Mm -hmm. resources around it, um, build a team or assign responsibilities, hold people accountable along the way, and then deliver an outcome. And so many people don't realize that those opportunities to hone the muscle of building teams and all the things that come along with it, the little steps I just described and all the nuances in between really exist all around us. And if there's not an existing opportunity where someone's inviting you to be the team leader or a chair, create it, right? Like the book club thing. I mean, create a reason for people to get together where there are shared responsibilities. People don't have to be paid to be on a team. Um, so I did that a lot from a very young age. I was the co-parent of two girls. And Mm -hmm. so that was my little team, you know, and I watched my mom (laughs) and how she made tough decisions on a team, how she brought people in and out of our lives, how she got help and resources. And so I, I really soaked up all the different opportunities of leadership and building teams from a super young age. So Mm -hmm. I'll say that. Um, So then how did that shape the outcome of my approach to teams? One is I recognize because people came in and out of my life as a young person. And, you Mm -hmm. know, I saw even things like sports tryouts. There were some people who were on the team one year, you know, in their junior year that tried out that didn't make the cut their senior year. They're not bad people. They're probably wildly successful in something else. Um, But by participating in sports and other multi-year activities, I realized fundamentally teams change. It's Mm -hmm. not a failure for a team to have three people that are three set people. And then the next year, something about that's different. And in fact, you may be failing to lead or innovate or upgrade your team if it is the same. So I had a very healthy mindset around turnover. You know, just around, uh, and I paid attention to other sports, professional sports, and you see people get kicked off teams, get brought onto teams. All of a sudden, a new player joins a team, and the team is now amazing. (laughs) Or a new new coach joins Mm -hmm. the team, and the team is now winning when one year prior they weren't. I mean, that's fascinated me. And so I think first and foremost, a part of my success, and I'm still learning every day, Uh, because humans are endlessly evolving and fascinating. Um, (laughs) That's right. 
I, I would say part of what has allowed me to come at it with more ease and grace and success than many others is I have a very healthy mindset around changing of humans on a team. So that's one way I come at team building. Uh, mm-hmm. The next is that I have two objectives with a team. One is to deliver whatever the goal of the team is. The other is to honor and develop the individuals on the team. Mm-hmm. And those two things can work in harmony. They should not be in conflict. I don't have yeah. to fail to honor and develop the individuals as the tax to pay to achieve the goal and vice versa, right? I shouldn't do yeah. one at the expense of the other. And you can't be 100% at everything all the time. But um, after leading many teams all over the world in bizarro situations, many of which I had never met before I was their team leader and I was only with them for a few weeks or a few months to deliver an outcome and others that have stayed with me for years and years, I have really come to understand that you don't have to sacrifice honoring and developing the individual in order to deliver the team objective and nor do you have to sacrifice successfully accomplishing your goals as a team in order to honor and develop the individual. And sometimes honoring the individual means helping them find their next thing that is no longer on your team. Sometimes it means telling them, you're awesome in these areas, but you're in the wrong job on my team. Um, And other times it means giving them chances because they're one of those individuals that gets bigger the more Mm -hmm. opportunity they get instead of getting overwhelmed. Um, So I've learned both to come at it with a healthy attitude around that teams will change and they must in almost all cases over time. So changing things or humans or structures or roles out is not failure. Uh, and, And then that accomplishing the goal and honoring the individual are not in conflict. Um, they are in support of each other. And, and I know those sound very higher order, bigger picture, but they really are the psychological underpinning of every then specific technique or approach um, I would use. And then I would say the third is that the team is not just there to do the bidding of the leader. The team is the team. They are experiencing the work every day, a different part of the work than the team leader is. Therefore, their input must be radically incorporated Mm -hmm. into the ongoing evolution of whatever the team is doing because their reality is the reality of either the customer or the environment. And the more you can allow that to color the team's structure, approach, the company, the product, whatever it is, the smarter you're going to be because you're reflecting closeness to the end user. Yeah. I completely agree. I think those three points are incredible. I think too many people get fixated on delivering against the goals and they don't think often enough about honoring the individual and who's on the team and then the team as the whole not being there to do the bidding of the leader. I often think of the leader as the person who is working for the team to make sure they're in the right position to succeed, making sure they have the resources that they need. And I really think that's a healthy way to think about turnover as well, getting back to your original point. Turnover is a natural order of things. We are all constantly changing. Life is constantly changing around us. And just because somebody isn't a good fit right here or right now or in this specific position doesn't mean it's a failure. It means that it's time to move on. It's time to find the right fit for them wherever they are or where they are going. Um, How do you keep your team performing at a high level, right? So right now you are the COO and president of this massive business. And you, but you've also been on the end of things where you're a hostess at a restaurant. You, so you've seen teams from every angle. How do you keep them performing at a high level and avoiding stagnation? I think there's two buckets of activities as a team leader to accomplish optimal performance. One would fall under the bucket of... Um, communication around goals and objectives. So you've got to constantly visit what are we supposed to be doing and how are we performing against that? Mm -hmm. So whether it's called communication and metrics, checking in, regular cadence, you're all, you know, depending on whether you're in the startup world or the um, like tech world or the entrepreneurial in the business of yourself world or in the big corporate world, it's KPIs, OKRs, whatever. Um, but constantly saying that this is what we need to accomplish. Here is what that big goal is broken down into its pieces. Here are Mm -hmm. its pieces for the individual. And then 
reporting out to each other and holding each other accountable on a regular basis. So there is a bucket. You even do this into your in your own personal life, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so my husband and I have a monthly check-in where we talk about goals and how we're serving each other, yeah. what we could do differently to be more effective, what's been the best and worst part. You know, just I've published a whole... Um, every time we shared the list of questions with friends, they would email me and say, can you, can you send me that list? And now it's been shared. Many friends have then put it into their own media articles and it's mm-hmm. sort of spreading its tentacles. But uh, yeah, I have a monthly check-in with my husband and it's invaluable. And so that first bucket of leadership or team building activity in order to achieve high-performing teams is around objectives and communication and mm-hmm. checking in on those. Yeah. Did that move from the business side to the personal side or vice versa? Or was it always there on both sides? No, it, it moved from business to personal. So we, mm-hmm. um, I was a member of a couple of business executive groups where there were set activities around getting deep with each other and really knowing what's going on. And so I had some out-of-business, yet business-oriented groups that honed Mm -hmm. a practice of checking in. I had learned to use, whether you want to call it one-on-ones or monthly check-ins, you know, every company has something different, OKRs, KPIs again, um, in my own business over the years. And when my husband and I met, um, from basically from month one, we said, you know, we want to be as intentional and invested in our personal lives for each other as we are in our business lives. Mm-hmm. And because to us, we had both been out of long-term relationships and we wanted to really honor what at least early on felt like was something very special. Yeah. And we said, why would we spend more time trying to be better business people than we spend trying to be better partners yeah. for each other? And mm-hmm. so we adapted um, some of the practices we had used in other groups to check in for our personal relationship and honed it and have been, I mean, it's a check-in we've had every month since we've been together. That's incredible. And yeah, and it, it is, I mean, it's just a create such a crazy foundation of openness and clarity and candor in a way that doesn't feel attacking because it's in a a space and a time that's intended for that. Mm -hmm. Um, Same practice for business where some people respond well to impromptu feedback. Most people don't like surprises, right? So when you have a um, a set frequent opportunity to check in, Mm -hmm. it, it provides permission Yes. To go places that you otherwise wouldn't. That does not keep you or prevent you from addressing something in real time that should be addressed in real time, but it um, certainly is a powerful technique. So that's the first bucket is objectives and checking in and metrics and reporting out and accountability. The second bucket is around the behaviors around the people. So mm-hmm. same theme as before, right? There's the objectives yeah. and then there's the people. Right. And so the other part is just caring deeply about the people. Um, that's how you deliver outsized results. You understand what's going on in their lives to the degree that that's possible. And the people who report to you who have people who report to them have that same approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and you really use that as a technique and an approach to be a good partner and to understand where people are. The second is to understand that every human is different. And I love the old school situational leadership model where people should not be broad brushed as good or bad or Mm -hmm. experienced or not experienced. Each of us are at very different development levels in different skills. And so I'm constantly having conversations with team members about where they are in the development cycle of the core skills and responsibilities in their job. So it helps even those that are peak performers in many areas of the business understand that if I give them a new responsibility, they're new, right? They're their overall maturity and experience may allow them to go through the learning curve more quickly, maybe, not guaranteed. But it it allows me to have a conversation that is constantly evolving with people to help them move through their own development cycles and the various tasks uh, and things that they have. And it creates a level of humility. Because even if you're considered a rock star by your peers, again, if I give you a new task with a new group and a new circumstance, there's no way you know 100% what to do. Um, And there will be bumps. And the more Mm -hmm. I can manage 
to that approach of situational leadership. And it's been called different things as time has evolved. And the more I can have honest conversations around where people are in their journey on a specific task, it keeps people honest. Mm -hmm. It keeps them honest about the fact that we're all on a journey. Um, And it helps even those that are new in a role realize even they can be a rock star in some areas yeah. of the business. And it also keeps those that tend to be stronger or have a maybe a penchant for a strong ego to be grounded and, and check. And then I have techniques that I use if people are not connected to the reality of where they are in the mm-hmm. development curve. So really just honoring the individual and moving them through their development cycles, which may mean moving them up or moving them on, mm-hmm. uh, depending on the situation. Those are the two things together that lead to outsized results. On that second point, one of the things that I've noticed about you is you're incredibly empathetic with people. You have this in- incredible way of com- connecting with people and really understanding them and putting yourself in their shoes. Can you achieve this, the second piece where you're focused on honoring the individual if you're not empathetic, if you're faking it, for instance? The answer is yes. Um, Because sometimes you do have to fake it. I know some really great leaders who are just have a very low natural state of empathy. Yeah. Very low. Mm -hmm. Um, One of my sisters is that way. And yet she's a very successful business person. Mm -hmm. Um, And she'll tell everyone, I don't like people. I don't like Mm -hmm. people. I'm not empathetic to people. But she knows that about herself and hires people who can help her. Mm-hmm. with that as she has built her her business. So the answer is yes, it's possible. But mm-hmm. it does mean you have to build a set of skills, check-ins. You, you're basically coming at empathy from an academic approach. So you may yeah. not be empathetic, mm-hmm. but you need to be respectful of the role empathy plays in being a good team builder mm-hmm. and therefore come at it intentionally in its pieces, yeah. which is listening <laughs> yeah. and then trying to relate in Mm -hmm. a way that you're looking for a way to relate uh, and then using what you've heard and what you believe you can relate to as a, as an approach. Yeah. So there is a way to break empathy down into its parts. If you're more of an analytical or technical person, or you're very um, just sort of closed off or sort of tactically minded results obsessed and have never really leaned into kind of the human component. Mm -hmm. uh, As long as you solve for that, with some type of intention and structure and practice, you can get at it. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then over time, it really can build what looks like empathy. (laughs) It it may not be it, but you do it so much. You do it so much, it becomes your your approach. It might not be your intuition, but it can become your approach. That's really, really interesting. Going back on what you were talking about earlier about having these regular check-ins, as a small business owner, How do you navigate the tough conversations around performance, about results, things like that, when you have to sit across from the person every single day, right? You're not in an office or a cubicle. These are the people, you have one to three folks that you work with on a regular basis, and you have to give them some really tough feedback. How do you navigate those tough conversations? First, I would say it starts with your mindset. And your mindset has to be this phrase, I would be failing you if I did not have this conversation. So while it may feel super shitty to think Mm -hmm. about having the conversation, it should feel even worse to think about not having it. And that may seem so simple, but I talk to so many small business owners who call or bring up um, looking for help or reference and having one of these tough conversations. And I tell them, honestly, one thing you're going to have to change is you are far more concerned about having the conversation than you are about what's going to happen if you don't. Mm -hmm. And you got to flip that script. And the minute you become more concerned of what will happen to that person, not just the business, that person, if you don't address it, it completely reframes your energy Mm -hmm. around it. Instead of like, oh my God, I have to tell them they're doing something wrong and they're going to be upset. But -hmm. rather, holy moly, if I don't have this conversation, they're going to get worse and I might end up firing them. Yeah. (laughs) Or ruining their career because I'm not putting them on the right track. Yeah. And so that's step one. Reframe the mindset as, oh my gosh, I'm going to like really upset this person to, it's going to be far more upsetting to them if this situation gets worse and other bad things happen. Mm-hmm. So that's one. The second is, even if you're in a tiny space when you need to give critical feedback, you need to find a way to get out of that setting. Yeah. Um, one-on-one, coffee shop, outside on the bench, 
whatever. Um, then I would say, I understand this. I invest in a lot of startups and advise a lot of founders. And so I mm -hmm. hear this from my founders that are very early stage with just a few employees where they tell me, look, I have to give this person critical feedback, but they do so much in my business. I don't want them to implode. Right. <laughs> um, you know, like they're, it's not like they're big enough to where everyone has a teeny tiny hat that they wear. Right. Everybody's wearing big hats, mm -hmm. lots of them. And so first, a technique, this gets into the conversation itself, is you ask the person, can I have your permission to give you some important feedback? Mm -hmm. Ask for permission. I have only yeah. been told no once really? out of... Somebody said Hundreds no. Somebody said no. But here's what they said. No, I've got something really crazy. And they gave me the detail, but something really crazy going on at home right now. And I just can't handle uh, any complex okay. conversations. How great is it for me to know that? Yeah, that's right? really Otherwise, helpful. I would have been diving into <laughs> critical feedback. And they're, and they're, I'm the peanuts teacher to them. Wah, wah, right. wah, and they're thinking about their kid at home. Yeah, and, exactly. And so ask for permission. Can I give you permission mm -hmm. to give you feedback as I see it? Other than usually the situation where someone has is just being consumed by something else, now you've also reframed their approach where they say, of course, mm -hmm. right? Of course. Um, yeah. If it's needed, you can layer in, I would hope someone would tell me this. Mm -hmm. And then you can even very specifically say what I mentioned earlier, which is a mindset, but it can also be a communication, which is I would be failing you if I didn't tell you this. Mm -hmm. because it hints at your motives. Yeah. And the motive being the person, not you being right, you being the boss. Um, I would also say before you give feedback, make sure you have your facts straight. And if you don't, phrase it as a question. Yeah. Because in those intimate relationship, two, three-person teams, if you have your facts a little off and you dive into, here's what I believe you did or what I believe you should be doing differently. And there's a big chunk of piece you don't know. Not only are you now having to redirect the conversation, you look like you just take facts without them being validated yeah. and judging a very trusted team member as a result. So mm -hmm. <laughs> have your facts right. I've made that mistake. Yeah. I think that's, um, that, that is incredibly, don't go in blind. And if you are going in blind, view it as a mission to collect data, perhaps before opining on what you think the outcome should be. Yeah. But once you framed it as, um, I would be failing you if I didn't give you this feedback, I yeah. wish someone would tell me, then mm -hmm. you share it with thoughtfulness and, and empathy. That takes time. It takes practice. Not everyone can do it. The person yeah. giving the feedback is sometimes uncomfortable and it's obvious. Yeah. But then you try to move from, here's what I saw, here's what I believe we should do next. Mm -hmm. Tell me how you see it. And then you try to close the gap from there. And you move on. Dwelling on it, allowing those conversations to creep into other conversations becomes very unhealthy. Yeah, very unhealthy. And, and one minor detail, how do you balance the fact that you are the leader and sometimes you're going to have to give orders as opposed to ask for permission? So how do you balance the asking for permission to give feedback with the, listen, I'm in charge, I think this is the best for the business? Yeah, I think you start with, um, can I have your permission to give you some feedback as I see it? That sets mm -hmm. the tone and tells the person, I'm, I want to give you feedback, but I want you to be open to it. Um, I need you to be in that headspace. And so they will say yes, mm -hmm. most likely, enthusiastically or um, cautiously, but they'll say yes. Mm -hmm. And then what you evolve that into is the feedback. And so here's what I saw or here's what I know. Mm -hmm. Here's the impact that has. So make it about the impact it has, not that the person is bad or wrong. It's the behavior that's wrong, not the person. So decouple it from them. Yeah, um, mm -hmm. it's the action, not the person. Unless mm -hmm. it's something like egregious and moral and horrific and you're, you're firing them and that'll be a different part of this conversation, I'm sure. So, <laughs> right. um, so, so then it's, it, here's what you did or here's what I saw or here's what occurred. Here's the impact that has. How do you see it? Here's why we can't let that go forward. This is how I'm going to be staying close in the future. Here's what I need to happen next. Mm -hmm. And then you get alignment on what's going to happen next. Yeah. I see many inexperienced team builders give feedback that is around behavior and not make it abundantly clear what next steps look like. So in yeah. the next meeting we have, this is what I will expect. Or I need you to follow up with this person in between now and then. Is there a course correction needed or not? Mm -hmm. Is this just feedback for next time? Or is this sort of corrective counseling? That's yeah. where they need to go back and do work. And you owe it to that person to be abundantly clear and make sure they can repeat it back to you or see if they have questions and then follow up. 
that's something that I personally have struggled with in the past, trying to be empathetic, trying to be, you know, offering up them the opportunity to give me permission, but while also making sure like, listen, I think this is the best place for the business. I think that's incredible advice because you reframe the narrative and all of a sudden you decouple them from their actions and say, this is the impact it has on the business. It's not about you. It's about what we're trying to achieve as a team. Yeah. And again, making sure you're asking questions in there. Is there anything that's in your way? Is there anything I don't know that I should? You know, creating those opportunities to let the person speak and share their perspective, but not letting the conversation go off on tangents it shouldn't. Right. What can I do for you to help you achieve what we're looking to achieve? Yeah. Is there anything Um, you need from me? How do you handle, this is a slight variation, how do you handle an employee who's just been incredible and amazing, but gets promoted beyond his or her capabilities and is now struggling in their new role? Oh, I've seen that so much. It's so common. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's fascinating. I mean, it you can see why it happens, and it happens as much in big companies as it does in startups mm-hmm. and small businesses um, for the exact same reasons. You find someone who you trust, who you believe understands you as a leader and the business, and they tend to be hard workers so they can catch most of the balls you throw at them. Mm-hmm. And it's a safe bet, so you think. Yeah. Um, so that's the leader reason side. Mm-hmm. The team member reason side is you believe that if you give someone else the opportunity inside or you hire someone outside, that you might lose them. Right. So I see that too. Mm-hmm. And so there are many reasons why it happens. Again, you, we could do a whole podcast on that. Um, <laughs> yeah. But now let's talk about the outcome. Right? So you, right. you realize by whatever means that this person is over their skis in capabilities. Yeah. Good person, very loyal to the company, clearly has been able to take on more. But now things keep happening. They keep dropping balls or you're getting what I see more often than not is you start getting feedback from stakeholders mm-hmm. yeah. who haven't worked with this person for two years or 10 years or five years. They meet them, they compare them to others that they have worked with in similar roles and flat out tell you they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. And then you try to defend and protect and, you know, very loyal, et cetera. But at some point, again, you are failing them and the company Mm -hmm. if you don't address it. So when I took over uh, Cinnabon, I had this exact situation. It was an executive... And it was a little easy for me because I didn't promote them into this position. Sometimes you have to deal with what you've created. (laughs) Um, The monsters of your own creation. That can be harder emotionally for the leader because then you feel responsible. And sometimes you say, well, I did it. So it's my fault, not theirs. Therefore, I'll leave them in the role. But that's not a good enough reason. But I do acknowledge that makes it a lot more personal. And because then they say, well, you're the one who put me in the role. Um, but I have taken over teams many times where it's very easy for me to see because I'm seeing it with fresh eyes that mm-hmm. people in certain roles, if I were to compare them with their peers in the average alternative organization, I'm not even setting a crazy standard, just compare them with their peers. Yeah. They are woefully underperforming mm-hmm. um, or they miss something fundamental. So then I ask, can I teach it to them in a reasonable amount of time? Yeah. Um, sometimes the answer is, well, yeah, most people can learn something, but it might take years and you mm-hmm. might not have years. Right. Or can I unteach them something that they're doing yeah. that is not helpful, which is also often the case of someone who's been in the company for a, a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, maybe the answer is yes, maybe it's no, but even if it's yes, can you do it quickly enough? Because the opportunity cost of that person in that role is tremendously high. I use the term yeah. blocker. If you're mm-hmm. sitting, if you have yeah. a seat at my table and you are not performing just as if I have a seat at the table and I'm not performing, I am blocking the opportunity for someone who could perform. Yeah. Um, and, and so I come at it with the same spirit that we discussed before, which is I am failing them if I don't address this. And I had one employee who was a long-term executive and I sat down and I said, you are fantastic in these areas. Or remember, not broad brushing someone as a rock star or an underdeveloped, very specific areas. But in these Mm -hmm. two areas, you consistently underperform what your peers or even those that are junior to you are delivering. Mm -hmm. And it is the company's fault in part, 
for putting you in these roles. Because of course, the average person isn't going to turn down a promotion. <laughs> you know, yeah. they're, they're like, a, you know, sort of like I was, where I'm going to say yes before I'm ready. Well, sometimes yeah. people say yes before they're ready and then they can never close the gap. Right. Um, or the company doesn't... The very quickly. Yeah, or, the, or they can close the gap, but the company doesn't give them what they need and then they go on many years without ever having that skill developed. Sure. And so I sat down with her and there's two paths. There is either a role correction path so you're fantastic. I want you in the organization. You have incredible knowledge. You're in the wrong job. Yeah. Do I have another job that is right for them in the company? In a small organization, the answer may be no. And then if I do have the right job, does it pay them the same? Does it have the same value? Is it good for their career? Yeah. Um, I've had a few conversations where I say, look, the only thing that's right for you is for you to take a step back in the company. Mm. That rarely goes well. <laughs> <laughs> Just because of ego and optics. And I don't mean yeah. ego in a bad way. I mean, it's tough for someone to have gone to the mountaintop, right? And then yeah. go live at base camp. Yeah, and um, and you got to get that and appreciate that personally. But if it's ever an option, and if I believe the person has the EQ mm-hmm. uh, and the personality to manage through it, right. um, I will offer it if I feel it's right for them in the company. But often it's it's not right for them in the company. So is mm-hmm. there a restructuring of a role that is lateral or parallel that is different and more suited? If not, the conversation needs to be, we need to help you find your way on to your next thing. And if yeah. it's a long tenured employee, then unless there's some a burning issue, you do it with grace and you give yeah. them time. Right. Mm-hmm. So here's what I'm telling you, because I need you to know I'd be failing you if I didn't, but I've got to start recruiting for what I know we need, right. but I'm going to give you time. And if mm-hmm. you are a good citizen and can keep a healthy head about this, and some people can, and some people can't, and some people think they can, and, and they can't. And, don't. Um, yeah. and But if you can, here's what our time frame is going to be like, and here's what I can do to help you with your next gig, and here's how we really should communicate what your skills are. Here's the type mm-hmm. of role that is great for you that I just don't have here. Yeah. Um, and that's the right way to honor the person and the company. Yeah, and I think you can actually use that moment to turn them into an ally in many cases. I have oh, totally talk to folks who have been effectively let go, but not, you know, fired because they didn't fit the role. And they talk about their previous employer or whoever it was who handled the transition out of the company in glowing terms, because they realize after a little bit of time, after they've had a chance to settle down and get beyond the kind of personal hurt of, ah, this didn't work out. It feels very personal to me and realize that was the best thing they could have done. I would have struggled in that role. I would have felt like I was an imposter. I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do. And now I'm in this much better place. Right. Let's talk a little bit about the firing, the topic that nobody wants to deal with, but everybody has to deal with if they're a team leader. It doesn't begin or end with a single conversation. I think a lot of what we've talked about thus far leads to this point. But walk us through your process of letting someone go from the time you first notice their performance slipping to how you try to rectify it to, you know, the ultimate final conversation. Yeah, I, you know, unless it is something that is super extreme and egregious, Mm -hmm. they violate a moral code, a moral or ethical code. They mistreat other humans. You know, I'm going to put that in a completely different bucket because to me, That is easy peasy, yeah. <laughs> right? Yep. You are not adhering to the standards and commitments of the company. I cannot mm-hmm. have you as a liability. I right. wish you the best. Um, here's the direct feedback. Here are the reasons. Here's the documentation. Goodbye. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yep. Um, and don't hesitate when mm-hmm. those things exist. Let me ask you a quick question on that topic. Do you ever fire on the spot or is that something only in TV? Do you say, hey, take the rest of the day and then have them come in the next day and then do it? Give yourself time to breathe? Yeah, it is almost always a, I need you to go home um, because mm-hmm. X, Y, Z has occurred mm-hmm. and we're going to talk tomorrow. Just yeah. because with most laws, you need to thoughtfully gather information, yeah. but I have the right to send anyone home. It is very rare that someone is immediately marched out of the building, right? Um, whether mm-hmm. it's in a restaurant or in a corporate office setting. Yeah. So it's very typically, look, X has happened. Sometimes you can't say what's occurred. If that person has right. harassed another person, right, and there's an investigation, mm-hmm. it's, look, there's something that's gone on. We have to look into it. You can't be here while we do. I, I'm, you got to go home. Mm-hmm. So it depends on the legal sort of ramifications yeah. around it of how you handle it. But typically it's 
leave immediately, mm-hmm. handle it with thoughtfulness. Yeah. Um, okay, so. that aside. Yeah, those situations aside, yeah. um, everything we've been talking about is certainly a part of this, which mm-hmm. is some companies on the HR side call it progressive discipline, um, <laughs> which sounds so harsh. Um, but it's, it is a progressive approach to ensuring that people know where they stand, managing expectations, mm-hmm. and giving very clear corrective direction yeah. and setting up places where you regularly check in to see if that's being accomplished or not. If you do that and it leads to the need for a departure, it's much easier. Yeah. Because you have a, you know, trail of breadcrumbs of reasons why this is just not working out. Mm-hmm. If you haven't done that yet you still need to terminate, which sometimes you do, it is way harder. Um, yeah. Not always, but in most cases. So um, I, what I will say to young team builders is you will learn. <laughs> you will end up sitting down, terminating someone who throws in your face all the reasons um, they are shocked and that you did not communicate and they might be partly right. Right. And mm-hmm. even though maybe sending them on their way is the right thing, you learn some very humbling lessons mm-hmm. as I did. So yeah. use the progressive approach. Let people know yeah. where they stand in the moment, regularly, consistently, give them corrective action, document it, make sure they understand and follow up. Mm-hmm. That makes everything else. I shouldn't say easier because it's it's heavy for some people, but when you pair it with the mindset of I would be failing you if, right? They're, they're sitting in a role where they're now evidencing they cannot succeed regardless yeah. of the feedback, like this isn't a good fit for them. And by you giving them the sense that they should and could still be here, you're holding them back from their greatness. Like that's yeah. how I look at it. I am holding mm-hmm. you back from your greatness and you may not realize it now. Um, <laughs> but there is, I cannot leave you in a role where regardless of how hard we've worked, when you exit a room, people truly believe you are, are not serving the role you should be. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and so it's everything we've discussed up to this point, but brought to a final point of we've tried and yeah. it is not serving you and it is not serving the company. And for that reason, we need to part ways. Mm-hmm. And then you have to decide, is this, is it because you've just realized your org structure is wrong? And so you need to give them some severance because this is really your fault for structuring the organization in a way that now you need to change. And so you need to take mm-hmm. care of them or give them a bridge. Is it truly performance-related where they have just not performed? It should be no shock, which means the conversation before this one included this phrase. If you do not accomplish what we are discussing, the outcome will be up to and including termination. Are we clear? Right? Mm -hmm. People should not be surprised that parting ways was the next step on the ladder. Right. It's like a performance improvement plan. Yeah. Right? A defined timeline, a defined goal. But here's the other thing I always tell people. You're on my team until you're not. Yep. So many leaders start treating people like they're not on their team. Yeah. While they are. And that's really crappy, right? You sort of assume the worst. You are part of the mob talking about them behind the scenes. You're, you're not helpful. It's No, it's, you're, <laughs> hey man, you're on my team until you're not. Watch any sports, right? Watch, mm-hmm. watch football, watch um, like European football, watch American football, mm-hmm. watch watch basketball, watch baseball. You'll see a coach pull somebody off the sidelines and rip their asses. Mm-hmm. They're still on the team. There may right. come a point with many repeated occurrences of them not doing what they're supposed to be doing, regardless of training or support or coaching, where they got to go. Right. Um, and that is not just true for the employee. Um, sometimes this is the approach you need for contractors. It's mm-hmm. true for if you have other leaders in your organization, because you also have to remember suboptimal players on your team really frustrate top players on your team. Oh, yeah, big time. And if mm-hmm. you don't address the bad ones or even the harder, the mediocre, is there are yep. people who are professionals at hiding out under the cloak of mediocrity. They're, <laughs> yes. They're, they're not bad enough to like create an obvious separation need and they're not good enough to be advancing. They're just holding this blob yeah. gray spot. Holding, and yeah, um, holding pattern constantly. Yeah. And th- those are actually the hardest because you're like, I don't know what I fire them for, but I know that I should have someone better. Yep. Um, you really do have to push those individuals to perform or help them find uh, roles yeah. where they can succeed. Because they'll drag down the A players or force them to leave, cause them to leave, I should say. 
Yeah. The mantra, um, harkening back to, you know, the conversations had between coaches and players, the mantra was always, if I'm yelling at you, I'm still invested. It's when I stop talking to you, that's, that's when we've got a problem. Yeah. And I think actually that, um, you know, reminds me of another important point. If you're approaching all these things the right way in service of the team, because if I don't address the person, it's bad for the team in service of the person. If I don't address them, they're going to be in this unproductive situation. And in service of the company, if, if you're doing that along the way, it's unlikely you get to some point where you are um, unhealthily frustrated and demonstrate yeah. a lack of grace and care and decorum mm-hmm. as a leader and um, maybe show up as someone you don't want to show up as. Yeah. Um, and I find that when leaders don't address performance problems and then it gets worse, sometimes now you're in this tense situation backed into the corner and not only is the separation not ideal, more complicated, more emotional. When people start to hear about it, and they always do, even though they shouldn't, it scares them in the company because Mm -hmm. they don't believe that there's sort of a process. And you might come across as a type of human that that you're not proud of. And so there should be this other fear of, if I don't address these things daily, real time, with check-ins, progressively letting people know how serious it is, both for the company and me, it could turn into a situation I'm not proud of. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of on that topic, something that you've talked about previously that I really liked is when you were opening international franchises for Hooters at the age of 20, right? One of the things that I found really interesting was that you'd always come back and say, and look at all the things that went right, all the things that went wrong. And you'd say, well, if there's a consistent pattern across three different openings in three different countries, I was probably responsible for that because mm-hmm. I'm the common denominator. So yep. in that vein, for all the negatives, right, you you just fire somebody and I'm a small business owner and now I have to sit down and reflect. How do you do that? How do you figure out what's your fault What's and properly adjust your process? One, I would say, try to have that reflection from conversation one with the person. Um, because there very much could be something structurally or with another team member or that you're doing that is sort of the infrastructure problem of mm-hmm. them not In performing. Other words, don't wait till they're fired. Start <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, it's better than not reflecting at all. But certainly along the way, it's a question I ask. It's why in the in performance conversations, I say, is there anything I should know? How do you see this? Is there anything I can do to help you? Yeah. Um, that is a form of being reflective and and hear it openly and make changes. If you're asking them to make changes, you should make changes if you feel like it's um, genuinely something that can be helpful. So don't mm-hmm. wait until the end to be pensive. Um, yeah. But then at the end, all throughout, I would say that you always have some role. Expect that you have some role. The question is, is it, a, is it something that you can or should correct? Mm-hmm. And um, if it's something you can't correct that you don't have to and you can't, for whatever reason, it has to do with the amount of time the person says they need from you. And yeah. you, you just can't figure out how to do it. Then you have now learned to better recruit for someone who might not need that much time. Um, mm-hmm. So be really thoughtful about, you know, be a learning machine of what you need and the type of team that you need to build around you because you're learning about yourself on this journey as well. Um, and you try to be as thoughtful about that as you can because you have people's lives and their careers and their families and their income as your responsibility. But if you're 25 and it's the first company you've ever started, you're not going to be perfect. But if you are constantly tuned in and learning, Mm -hmm. you'll get better fast. Um, Give yourself a little grace. Yeah, but the point is to notice patterns. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. if you end up terminating three people in a row for similar reasons, either you are super bad or not improving at recruiting, Mm -hmm. um, or you're decent at recruiting, but there is a problem internally that you are not addressing because no matter how different the people are, the outcome is the same. Mm -hmm. Um, and so the lesson is just pay attention to the patterns and acknowledge when they're you and you always have something, you're the leader, right? You always have something to do with whatever's going on. Um, the question is, can you, and should you address it? Well, Kat, this is a huge topic, obviously a lot to take in. So if you could leave our listeners with one to two tips for kind of performance management and, you know, the ultimate firing conversation and improving your overall process, what would, what would they be? 
I think one is um, that mindset of I would be failing this person, the team, my customers, my business, if I didn't address this thing. So that's one. And remembering to address small things before they become big things. Yeah. And I see some people say, well, it's small, right? It's small. I don't need to say anything. It's no big deal. Mm-hmm. Say something when it's a spark. Yeah. Um, when it's smoke. Um, not when it is a full-blown blaze in your organization because then you've failed everyone, including yourself. So mm-hmm. the I would be failing you if mentality is one of my biggest pieces of advice. To have it, to believe it, to think it, to communicate it, uh, and to use it to act immediately on things that should be responded to. Um, And then my second piece of advice is, remember this, good behavior that goes unnoticed gradually goes away. Mm -hmm. Bad behavior that goes unnoticed, for whatever reason, acts the opposite and gradually becomes habit. Um, It is your job to address both, Mm -hmm. um, to celebrate good behaviors and good performance in specific skills and to call out and address poor performance or bad behaviors uh, on your team so that everyone starts to understand what great behavior and great outcomes look like. I really like both of those points. The first one, changing the mindset. We all think about the firing and performance enhancement process and performance management process as delivering bad news and ruining somebody's day, whereas it should be viewed through the lens of I'm trying to help you and I would not be doing my job if I didn't do this. And it's interesting, you're right, the dichotomy between good behavior and bad behavior, how good behavior just kind of goes away and bad behavior sticks and becomes the routine, becomes part of the everyday life. Uh, And so snuffing things out before they become, you know, when they're still small, before they become big, I think is incredibly valuable because something can grow and become a huge problem if you leave it unaddressed. Yes. So, Kat, thank you so much for joining us today on Influencer Business. It was a a real pleasure to have you. Amazing tidbits and advice for our listeners. And we are so thrilled to have you on the program. My pleasure. Amazing conversation with Kat. She has so many great points. Each time I chat with her or hear her speak, I always take away something new. So this might be one of those episodes where you have to listen to a couple of times in order to pull out all of the little nuggets that she drops in there. Just so much knowledge in in a very short period of time. But quickly, let's recap some of the key points that Kat made. Number one, look outside of your business for opportunities to flex and develop your leadership and team building muscles. You know, as Kat mentioned, a lot of the skills that she acquired, she acquired outside of the workplace, whether in her normal day-to-day life or working in the community. So make sure you're looking for opportunities outside of your business to build and grow those muscles. Number two, turnover is not failure. Don't think about it that way. It's a natural part of life and a natural part of the business building process. And it can actually lead to better situations for everybody involved. So really focus on making sure that you don't view it as purely failure. Number three, as a leader, focus on two key things, delivering on your goals as a team And number two, honoring the individual. We often forget about that second one because we're so bogged down in the first one. But if you can focus on both delivering on goals and honoring the individuals on your team, you'll be able to over-deliver in everything you do. Number four, for the tough conversations, flip the framework. Don't approach it as, I have to deliver bad news, but instead think about it as, I would be failing this employee if I did not have this conversation with them. They need to hear this in order to better their career, to better their time at our company, and look to decouple the behavior you're trying to change from the individual. So make it more impersonal. Don't make it about them and what they've done. Make it about what you're trying to achieve as a team and how they can change their actions to get you where you want to go. Number five, Small things that go untouched will grow into bigger things. So even if something seems small at the time or something that you maybe can gloss over, oh, it's not that big of a deal, I don't need to really think about it, nip it in the bud so it doesn't become a big problem. Finally, number six, good behavior that goes unrecognized will stop and go away but bad behavior that goes unchecked will become a habit. It's this interesting dichotomy that we touched on at the end. So you have to think about that, you have to understand it, and you have to deal with it accordingly so that you can get more of the good and less of the bad. 
those are six key points that we pulled out of that conversation. But really, go back, listen to it again. She has so much good to say. And once again, I want to thank Kat for joining us on Influencer Business. Incredible pleasure to have her. Make sure that you're following her on Instagram and LinkedIn. She talks about a lot of the things that we talked about here on the podcast and so much more on these two platforms. And she's a, she's a must follow, in my opinion. So her Instagram is ATL. That's K-A-T-C-O-L-E-A-T-L because she lives in Atlanta. And her LinkedIn is linkedin.com backslash I-N backslash K-A-T. C-O-L-E. Make sure you follow her on both of those platforms. She puts out awesome content all the time and is, is well worth the follow. And if you're interested in digging in deeper into some of these topics around performance management, hiring, and just team building in general, make sure that you head over to trovebusiness.com. We have a ton of content on these topics discussing everything from performance management plans, performance improvement plans, how to hire, how to onboard, how to fire, the actual conversation and things you should say, things you shouldn't say when you're having that conversation, all of that and more on trovebusiness.com. As I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I did want to come back to this. I want to talk really quickly in a bit more detail about bench accounting and bookkeeping and why you need them in your life. One of the most annoying things about running your own business is managing the numbers and accounting. It's not a core piece of your business, but you have to, right? You have to pay taxes every year. You have to make sure your business is profitable. And no matter how good you are with the numbers, maintaining good books, keeping track of all of your expenses is just a nightmare. I mean, I worked on Wall Street. I you know, got into the numbers pretty deep. But when it comes to managing the books and the nuts and bolts of accounting, I still break out in a cold sweat. And that's why we use Bench here at Trove. I've been using Bench for over three years, and it's simply the greatest bookkeeping software available to the small business owner. Whether you have a few hundred dollars in expenses each month or up to a million dollars in expenses each month, Bench has a plan for you. See, the great thing about Bench is that they plug into all of your accounts, whether it's your credit card, your bank account, PayPal, or anything else. They bring in all of the expenses directly into their system, and then they actually have a real person. This is what sets them apart. They actually have a real person sitting behind the scenes organizing all of this stuff for you. And if they have a question, they reach out and you can answer them via their mobile app or their web app in literally seconds. And then at the end of the month, without much intervention on your side at all, you magically have this income statement and balance sheet that you can look at. And you can track how your business is doing. I mean, Bench has saved me tens of hours each month. And when tax time comes, I simply download a file that they give me and send it to my CPA. And if you don't have a CPA, they can actually set you up with one. I'm not kidding when I say this is the best investment I've ever made. It not only saves me tens of hours each month, but I have the peace of mind knowing that an expert is behind the scenes running the books for me. And the best part about all of this is we've partnered with Bench, so now you can actually get 20% off your first six months of bookkeeping with Bench just for being a friend of Trove. To learn more about this and take advantage of this amazing offer, go to bench.co forward slash partner forward slash Trove. That's bench.co forward slash partner forward slash Trove. Trust me, as somebody who's been using them for more than three years now, I could not recommend them more. They will literally change your life. All that time, effort, and angst that you've been directing towards your accounting and your bookkeeping will just go away. And now you can focus on what you really want to do, which is run your business, create your content, and engage with your audience. So once again, that's bench.co forward slash partner forward slash trove. So thank you again for joining us on this episode of Influencer Business. As always, if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review. We always appreciate it. Another big shout-out to Pete Crimmy and the team at Sound Lounge who are always up in our game on the podcast. If you ever need anything in the audio side of production, make sure you reach out to Pete at Sound Lounge, New York's number one audio post studio. Finally, join us next week as we dive into everyone's favorite topic – partnerships, how to partner with brands, what they mean, different types of partnerships. We've got a lot to cover, some amazing guests. It's going to be an awesome set of episodes. Once again, I'm Rich Gudelari, and this has been Influencer Business. Influencer Business.